0: Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Jen Kirkman is not an audience member. One of my favorite moments in this conversation you're about to hear takes place about 15 minutes in, when Jen Kirkman is describing her own origin story and dealing with all of the people telling her no, mostly just old men, and explaining to her why she can't do comedy and all this stuff. And she describes a moment, sitting in the audience, where she realizes, I am not an audience member. And I love that. There's something about the way she sums up that moment of realizing, in a way, one's own life purpose. And I think it really speaks to the experience I've had and the experience a lot of my friends that I know in, in artistic industries have had, where we realize there's people that consume art, which is fantastic, but then there are people that are just meant to make it. Jen Kirkman is one of those people. She's a comedian, she's an actor, she's a writer, she's a great writer. I tracked her down at her home in the Los Angeles area, and we had such a fun conversation. I wasn't sure if that would translate. Going back and listening to it, I realized that, of course, it does. Two people who um, enjoy talking to each other, of course, it's going to wind up being a fun conversation. I'm so glad that I finally got her as a guest on Wheels Off. So please welcome to this episode of Wheels Off, the great Jen Kirkman. Welcome to Wheels Off, Jen Kirkman.
1: Thank you. I'm a fan. Ah, that's
0: so nice of you. Well, I'm a fan of you as well. And you're so good at not only podcasting, I love your Instagram stories. I feel like you're... I feel like you kind of, you win those. You're really good at that. You're all over it.
1: I mean, truly, I can't believe how much fun I have with the internet. (laughs) Like, at my age, you know what I mean? Because there was many years that I just was afraid of it and avoided it and thought it was stupid or just something for younger people. I'm sure now I'm on old people internet. I don't think Instagram stories, I bet someone 19 is like, oh, we're over here we're not even telling you where we are. Yeah. But I know, I can't believe how much I love it.
0: Um, So I'll start where I always start. Um, What creative project are you working on right now, and how does it inspire you?
1: I'm working on so many. And I wish... Okay, let me... I'm trying to... So the last two years, I was writing on a TV show as an employee of other people. Um, I was writing on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And so I... Now I... Quit, which is not as dramatic as it sounds. I'm, I'm mainly a touring comic and yeah. like to do my own thing, and I can't do fifth. Like, I need some downtime. So I did that for a while. I was like, that was great. I get it. Moving on. So I'm trying to sell two different TV shows right now. One would be more of a streaming thing. One would be more of a network idea. Mm-hmm. And that's not quite the season yet for pitching. So it's very early. I know what the ideas are. But over the next couple of months, I will broaden them out, I'll know who all the characters are, I'll be able to say this is what happens in the pilot, I'll be able to say this is what happens over the series, and then I'll meet with producers who might want to take it on and then we'll pitch to the network. So I kind of do this every year and I usually sell something and it doesn't get made. That's so like, great to sell it though. Yeah, so the last four years I've had a thing in development but then they don't get made. So that usually happens September to December. I'll do all the writing.
0: Are any of these something you th- would appear in as well?
1: All of them, except one, has been, yeah. Okay. That would be like a vehicle for me. Sure. These two things I'm pitching, um, I wouldn't be the star of. I would just get to, you know, I'd maybe write myself like, you know, yeah, five of out course. of ten episodes or something as yeah. someone's friend or something like that. Yeah. But, um, But anyway, so that's that. I don't know how creative that is. It's just I'm in that dreaming phase where sometimes I just have to do nothing and walk around and see what happens. I'm also trying to write a third book and... By trying to write, I mean trying to sell. I am (laughs) like writing stuff. So I'm trying to figure out, it's sort of about two different things. And where I'm, I've had to, you know, when you write a book pitch, it's like you write two potential chapters and then sort of a intro that's, here's why I want to write this. Here's what it is. And even though I've written two other books, I still have to go through that process. I mean, I'm assuming maybe other people don't, but. um, Mm. If,
0: If you do, I bet pretty much everybody does. I mean, I'm sure there's no,
1: I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, I doubt, well, she's no longer with us, but I doubt Maya Angelou's like, wait, I've got a pitch. And they're like, like, it's fine. Yeah. You could just write anything. Um, but I, (laughs) I think, um, so there's that. And then there's always like my standup is always in flux. And I, I tend to just write that these days out and about on the road. So I'm working on all of those things now. And I'm also trying to save space for something that just inspires me. What, what might pop up that isn't to make a job out of it. But sure. there's so little time for that. So in the traditional sense of the word, I'm kind of feeling uninspired right now.
0: Oh, that you just described literally like four projects that are all super creative and then oh that see. I yeah. Think maybe you're being too hard on yourself.
1: No, I'm just one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like truly I just I, I need I I don't know what it is. I I think uh You know, there's other ideas I have. They're Mm -hmm. not going to make me any money, so they have to go on the back burner. So I'm not as like excited, excited. I get, you know, maybe that's just what happens emotionally when I start thinking of things for pay. There is a little less excitement. And then the things I just dream about are exciting because they're different. And stand-up is the only thing that I don't suffer that from. I would love to make $4 billion doing stand up. It wouldn't affect my creative <laughs> process because I get to do whatever I want. It's not that the projects I want to do for money, it's not the money that would be the problem. Like It's that I'm doing something creative because I need to hopefully earn that this year so I can keep paying my bills. Yeah. And that always puts a little bit of a damper on it because then you get into, well, now I'll have to take people's notes on it and do what they say because the, the ultimate goal of this is a paycheck and we'll find the creativity yeah. in it.
0: One of the things that comes up a lot that I feel like is the um, the calculation being sort of a, the murderer of, of creativity. So, yeah. like if you're thinking, well, what am I going to do that's going to sell in pilot season or yeah. pitch season or whatever, whatever, y'all, whatever y'all call it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know what I do think, though? I don't get to see your stand-up as much as I wish I could. But my impression of you is that you write and rotate stuff out more frequently than... Than a lot of comedians that I know and see, I feel like yeah. your set is always changing.
1: Yeah, that is true, hundred percent.
0: That's really cool.
1: And I will say that the TV show ideas I have are truly—they are in quotes—inspired. They yeah. are—they they really don't come from what will make money because I never—I'm terrible at that. If I knew, I would have made it. Yeah, I would have not made it. I would have made the money. Like yeah, I'm 44, I'm not holding back. Like, well, let me wait to the 23rd year in the business to give them the thing that's going to sell. Like, I always think, who wouldn't want to watch this? And then they're like 10% of the population when I'm like, interesting. I think of this as a big crowd pleaser. So, But with my stand up, yeah, I always, you know, even just on the road, I want people to know this is live, I'm a human. So I will start at least with five to 10 minutes of this is what happened today, if something happened. Yeah. Then we get into the act. And I keep the same act usually, but right now I have maybe, I don't know, an hour and a half of material, maybe two mm-hmm. hours that some cities have seen, some haven't. So I'm in this glorious riches moment.
0: Do you keep a really good track yes. of who's seen what? Yep.
1: I love that. I have it all in diaries and yeah. because I don't want to repeat anything. Although yeah. I really could because I'm having a thing where... Um, all my audiences are like 60% new people every time. How great They're still that? finding me. That's so oh, when the other people are going. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, I'm assuming, I actually have a really good, I don't get parent. I assume the people that have seen me before, I, I roll through every major city at least like once a year. Yeah. And it's been now 10 years. So I'm sure, it's like, I don't expect them to come every year for 10 years. Yeah. Maybe, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, but yeah, I do rotate in a lot of stuff because I've, yeah, I'm just, talk to me next year when everyone has seen everything and I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'll do a, you know, you try to think of like, what can I charge them for on stage? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'll do a, a Q&A for an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, live tapings <laughs> of the podcast. Exactly. I mean, that's what everybody else does.
1: I know. It's one of those things. I know where they, I know where my listeners are. I see the cities yeah, on the back end. That's great. So I can't like sh- sh- force it on, you know. Houston Houston, who doesn't listen to it yeah
0: yeah that's so funny so you do you really do keep a notebook where you write down the set that you do in the town that you do it in yeah that's funny I do I've got a set list notebook that I keep super close track of and um do you go all so far as yeah and this is I shouldn't even go down this road but do you keep track of what you wear on stage because I've been tempted to write down I wore my red shirt on stage because I don't want to show up and then the people that take pictures of the gig they're like you wore this same shirt. I've already got pictures of him in his shirt. Yes,
1: I think about that. Because, you know, I, I rotate. I do, well, you know, it's funny. I do this thing called Rent the Runway. I don't know if you've heard of it.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, of course.
1: And I have an unlimited membership, which means I can get like four, out, like four pieces of clothing a month. So I rotate in things I don't even own anymore, like shirts. Because I do think about... Yeah. I mean, I don't know who I think I am. Like I'm acting like I'm Barbara <laughs> Streisand, but I do think about the photos after and the pictures. Sure. And there's a shirt that I really love and I thought that this past weekend in Dallas. I thought I wore that last year. But I want to wear it again, you know? Yeah. But it's it's not my I don't have a uniform. I wish I did, but I don't.
0: Oh, so you don't have to think about it black t shirt, yeah. black jeans or whatever.
1: Yes, I'm I'm weirdly obsessed with that. If I'm reading um I feel like a lot of successful people have a uniform. I'm really obsessed with reading about like what people's habits are. And I feel a lot of creative people that I've read about, they're more like visually creative. Uh-huh. So maybe it's different. Like fashion designers or architects, I mean, or interior designers, they, are, they go, I just have a uniform, black t-shirt, jeans. I go to work. I'm like, oh, God, I wish I could do that. I, I can't.
0: Would just would take so many decisions out of your daily life.
1: I know. But then you need like a signature haircut, which, you know, I think you need a signature something so you don't get bored. No, I guess I'm saying the same thing. If you have a signature outfit, you yeah. don't need a... I don't know. There's something... This is the most shallow thing I've ever no. thought about. But I I do think about that stuff. I don't keep track of the outfits, but I somehow just know. Yeah. And I can always go back to the pictures.
0: Exactly. To yeah. your Instagram feed.
1: I think people would think it was cool, though, because they I don't know I feel like with a musician it is they'd be like oh that's just his uniform that he yeah. wears when he plays
0: I don't even know why I worry about it I've only got basically blue button down shirts that I just wear <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know no one but you know what there's that one person that would notice
0: they're, and I hear from them
1: and and I don't know what they're noticing that would upset you but for me it would be like do you only have one shirt yeah. like yeah like is, are, you, are you doing okay like
0: <laughs> um. so you I, I've, I actually have heard a little bit about this but I, I imagine that a lot of our Listeners wouldn't have when you started out. Yeah. Um, what age do you feel like you were when you really knew that this is what you wanted to do? And was there like a moment, an uh, epiphany moment?
1: Well, I always wanted to be in the arts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, since I was four, but it went from tap dancing to ballet to poet. I was telling you off, yeah. off my earlier to serious actor to sitcom actor. Uh, ballerina. I mean, I was heading to college thinking I was going to be a dancer and a actor. So there was, I mean, there was no, I loved being funny and silly, but I, I don't know. I just didn't, it, it just, it was this other weird thing. You didn't see too many people doing it. So it didn't seem like a job to me. Yeah. It was nothing I'd ever seen live. We didn't have comedy albums. I saw standups on TV, but you don't see them as often as you see sitcoms and movies and stuff. So it's just that's what grownups do and they're, they're already doing it. And I don't know. So it wasn't until I was in college when I don't really know. I had a friend who had a video camera and she used to tape me actual tape, like a cassette, VHS size tape. (laughs) She probably has like a bad back now, giant camera. (laughs) And I used to sit and smoke on the front steps of our dorm. And there was these guys across the street. This is in Boston. Uh-huh. This is in Kenmore Square area. I went to Emerson and now the college, the campus is not down there anymore. But anyway, these guys, I don't know where they were from. They had this drum circle and they were terrible and the worst. It was the, just the worst sounds you've ever heard. And I would just do little rants for my friend about those guys smoking and she would tape me and she would laugh and she said, you should do stand up. And I was like, I don't know. I don't really remember anymore. That's the other thing is like, as you get older, I feel like I'm like, I don't remember my own origin story. I just, I remember these moments, like flashes, that it's like someone else's life. I don't remember. Yeah. I just know that I went to, this was my, this is how I thought the world worked. I was so innocent. I went to the dean of admissions of the acting program and uh-huh. maybe my junior year, so I was 20, and I said, do you have any resources for stand-up comedy? And now, like, you can major in it at that college, which I'm glad I didn't go that route because oh, that yeah. doesn't make you any funnier. No, in fact, it's worse. For me. <laughs> but I said, and he goes, "Stand-up. If you if you were, were going to be a stand-up, you would have been you'd be doing it already. All the greats start at 19 or 20. I don't know what he was talking about. But he was talking about like maybe Eddie Murphy or things like you'd be in New York. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Just took it as gospel. Like, oh well, I guess I won't. You know, I told my friends, see, I, you can't do stand. It wasn't even hurt. I just, that was a moment. And then I think it stuck in my head. And then, like, of course, it's always, like, guys I know were starting to get into it. And so I went to a lot of open mics with guy friends Uh who were nervous and wanted me to support them, like, as a friend. And we'd sit there drinking, and the friend would never get up the courage to go on stage. But I would sit and watch all these people and go, this, they're terrible. But, I mean, it's open micers. And then I went to see a real comedy night at a comedy club. And there was this indescribable feeling. And I don't mean it like I thought I was superior. But I, I thought, I know in my heart, I am not an audience member. I am one of them on stage. I just don't know how to do it. But this is not fun to sit here and watch. Wow. I'm upset. This I'm, hurt, I'm hurting right now. Wow. It's like watching the love of your life marry someone else. I was like, no, 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 not fair. Have to be up there. So I don't really know what... But it was like, there was no internet. I mean, it was 90... There probably was. It was 95 or six, But there was no Google something. And so I just thought, well, that sucks. I'll just figure it out, I guess. And I think I spent a year after... So I was like 21. It was like 96, 97. I just kept looking in the back of the Boston, you know, alternative weekly newspapers. Looking for the words, open mic. And I didn't find it for a while <laughs> and I like went and joined an improv group and I was like no this isn't it this isn't it <laughs> and then um <clears throat> this really famous improv teacher named Keith Johnstone he's the British Del Close kind of okay. he wrote a book called Impro and it's a little more theatrical improv and I took his class over one summer and I thought you know maybe I'll just do this improv thing and he said you're not an improv you're a stand-up And he like, but very nicely. He was like, you should read Joan Rivers' biography. And I said, okay. And I picked it up. And she, same thing. She couldn't really figure out, like, working with others. She needed to be by herself. And that same feeling came up again of, like, I'm supposed to be doing this. And then, yeah, I, I ran into, do you know Eugene Merman? Yeah. I ran into him. I'd never met him at a, we were both auditioning for some, I don't know, something. There was like some audition. Like, if you think you're funny, come down. And it was like to maybe host a game show pilot in Boston or something. Yeah. And I got on stage and you had one minute to say funny things. I don't know what I said. And he was like, oh, hey, you should do my comedy show sometime. Are you a comedian? And I just lied and said, yeah. Totally. Totally comic. <laughs> Meanwhile, I thought he was like the most important person in the world. He was just an idiot like me, you know. <laughs> and then I went and did his show and that was it. But it was, yeah, it was a very weird, it, it, there was no plan it was just, it was true inspiration. And I, it wasn't, I think I'm funny. It wasn't even, I have anything to say. It was like, I'm compelled to yeah. do this.
0: Oh, that's so great. And <laughs> yeah. I think it speaks to really the instincts that make you as good as you are at what you do, really. Like that you kept having this instinct that, that that's what you needed to do, despite that. That story breaks my heart about that freaking old guy telling you that, oh, it's too late. Sorry, honey. I never- what the I hell? think they
1: just literally didn't know, you know? I mean, it's so strange. And and then when it got the woman that ran the theater department that was the acting teacher, she, ooh, like clutching her pearls, stand-up comedy. It was like, they, we only do Shakespeare here. It was just like, it was so bizarre to them. They were just like, get out of here with that. Yeah, it, it, I'm glad, though, that that happened. I, it's not good to be overly encouraged.
0: And then when you met Eugene... And you started finally kind of clicking with that scene. Yeah. Is it something... Because I know for me in music, one of my favorite things was the community that I found. Mm
1: -hmm. When
0: when you kind of became a part of it, did you really feel it? Like that you were a part of something that that held you and loved you?
1: I got so Mm -hmm. lucky. I met Eugene and there were three other dudes and they're all beautiful people. They're all still in my life. They all work in show business somehow. Most of them are writers for TV. They were non-sexist, gorgeous souls. And we all supported each other. And Eugene was really the carnival barker. Like he made all the flyers and he stood in Cambridge and Harvard square and like told people to go. There was no tweeting, you know, and we had this little community and we performed together three nights a week, one night at this little alternative space and one at a little bit more of a comedy club. but still pretty alternative. And it was like, yeah, three shows a week, this little group of all of us and other people. And I felt like I belonged. It felt it was almost too much belonging that yeah. I didn't know there'd be any hardship <laughs> ahead if that made sense. Yeah. And so I'm playing to people my own age. It can do anything. Everything's going great. And then I think, well, I have to move to New York. And then you get to New York and everyone's like, yeah, we did, this is, what are you doing? <laughs> this is terrible.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, is it is it better to be nurtured when you're young and to feel that it'll always be that easy? I don't know. So when you hit New York, yeah. it was... That was the rough world slapping you in the face?
1: A little bit. I remember one night, there's a thing called a booked bringer show for your listeners that may not know.
0: You have to go out and hand people tickets with your name on them or something so they know?
1: Not as bad as that, but you just have to bring 10 people. Okay. So a lot of people just starting out will bring 10 people from the office and they'll get five minutes stage time. Yeah. And Eugene told me that he booked us a gig in New York City. And I was like, wow, we've only been doing this like three months. But the Boston Globe had already done like, an article about all these new young comics and someone had called me the female Lenny Bruce. I mean, that was like beyond my wildest dreams. Cause I actually in college, I did have a Lenny Bruce album and I'm not trying to sound I know me most too. people don't think he's fun. Oh, okay.
0: I love Lenny Bruce. Me too. Yeah.
1: And most I'm not... people are
0: judging by his late stuff when he only talks about the obscenity trials. But it, yeah. The early Lenny Bruce is so unimpeachable. I feel like.
1: And there's jokes. There's actual jokes. Yep. He's not just, you know, I just thought he was cool. I liked the rhythm, and the, yeah. to me, when I started doing stand up, it was I want to be in that environment, and I didn't realize that doesn't exist. Yeah. no one's like smoking, and I mean, uh-huh. we were at the la- I was at the <laughs> tail end of smoking indoors, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't totally cool like that. I no. didn't realize I couldn't just jump into the fifties <laughs> and sixties. But um, so Eugene booked this gig. We took a bus to New York City, and we got there, and he knew all along that we had to bring 20 people between the two of us. But he planned on sweet-talking the, the booker or the oh. whatever. And he did. But he tried to hide it from me that, you know, he, it was really sweet. That's kind of sweet. And, but, but I did my bit that I did, had been doing in Boston. And the host was like, what the F is this? He just made fun of me. It wasn't a funny bit. Oh. It was like I brought a boombox on stage. I would play <laughs> a James Taylor song and I'd cut it off and go, he beat his wife. Oh my god! And I go, but I would launch into a bit that I actually think is quite prescient. Yeah, I won't name names. Okay, about how you really can't trust a hippie. Um, they are always making women do all the like work. They take all the credit. You know, Carly Simon's more talented. It was like a whole thing about like hippie men, um, in their wherever they live.
0: God, I love that. I love that your voice was kind of in there <laughs> yes. already, like you'd already found it. It
1: was it was something about, like, there's something about a hippie where it's like, he's going to get away with it because people are like, but he has long hair and he seems nice. And I'm like, they're the worst. Anyway, so it was really more of an anti-hippie tirade. Yeah. But I maybe I felt I had to prove it. And I don't even know if he beat someone. Like, I thought I heard that somewhere.
0: It was pre-internet. Who knew anything? Uh,
1: yeah, and so... I just was saying it. I don't know why I did that. It's obviously like upsetting. It's like, I don't know. And then I would read women's magazines and make fun of them. I love women's magazines. I have it all over my home right now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't mind looking at impossibly beautiful people that are too thin. Like, I know it's bad. I don't have a problem with it. But I was acting like I did. So I was yeah. just kind of all over the place. But you don't need all these like, if you're going to do props, make them fun, not like feminist issues of, you know, Like, I didn't have to have all these magazines and boom boxes. But anyway, but in Boston, it was, like, killing for people my age that didn't know what comedy was. But, yeah, so it didn't do – so that night I was, like, huh, maybe I need to be a little more – maybe – I don't know what. Like, but there was – it was half, like, these people don't get it, half I must be terrible. And then after about a year, when I actually moved to New York, I was, like, I already knew it was going to be hard, but I was, Mm -hmm. like, I'm ready. I have a feeling I'm in this cushy world – and I think I need to go back to where, and luckily I didn't have to go back to a bringer show. I started hanging out at the Luna lounge, which is now defunct. And that was, yeah. you know, I mean, I was hanging out there. I wasn't getting spots right away, but I got them pretty quickly, like within a year. So that was like huge to be on the same show as Mark Maron and Janine Gruffle and all that. I mean, yeah. it was such a big deal. So I felt like I just started at the right time where there was all of this support, but, um, you know, it goes up and down. I felt supported and then there's years I didn't and yeah. it comes and goes. It's not ever, oh, I feel safe and comfortable because the world's always changing, the world of what you're doing. I mean, I've had some real scares about am I still able to keep up, you know?
0: Well, so that's kind of what I wanted to ask you next was about sort of, um, the obstacles are obvious, right? Yeah. For all of us in, in terms of um, the outside world. But the in the um, sort of, inner obstacles that we generate ourselves and um depression yeah fear um just sort of self image or even um imposter syndrome comes up a lot in these conversations i have with people yeah uh do you feel like that's been something i well i know you have to know that the answer is going to be a little bit of a yes at least You've, I don't have imposter syndrome. Not that one. but Which you, is
1: crazy. But I think if I was more successful, I might. You know what I mean? Like, if I was selling out, like, Madison Square Garden, I'd probably be a little bit like, wait yeah. a minute. But but,
0: but you you deal with, you've dealt with some, well, you've even referenced moments ago, um, mental health and just, like, how do I yeah, deal with yeah. this? The, the the world is hard. And yeah. And feelings are hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, even on the simplest level, I had panic disorder. I mean, you never not have it, but it's it's not something that affects my life today. Yeah. I didn't even think I was ever going to be able to travel and tour. So I couldn't even, this dream, when people talk about, I felt so left out because people were starting to tour and they'd go on the road or I just was afraid of being like even on the freeway too much. Like I just didn't like transportation in any kind of way.
0: Well, I thought it was just
1: airplanes. It was just airplanes, but it was also like the notion of like driving by myself on interstate freeways, like. To cities I've never been to? I'm not doing that. So just like my basic fears and anxiety and panic attacks. Like, you know, because if you have a panic attack and you're alone in a car, no way. No way. Ever stuck in trap. No way. I mean, now it's fine. But so even weird things like that that I forget to remember. Like that stopped me for the first 10 years. I only did gigs where I lived. And other people were developing how to tour. And I didn't have any idea. So... There was this imposter syndrome once I got on Chelsea Lately and it gave me an instant fan base. I could jump to headlining, which in comedy, there's there's all these police watching you and going, that's not fair. You didn't go around the country as a host and then as a middle act and then as a thing. And it's like, I didn't. And I can't believe it, but I got rescued by this boat, you know. And so maybe at that point I had imposter syndrome. But then you realize, oh, shut up. Everyone's thing is different. And you're just jealous.
0: Boy, (laughs) it's so
1: horrible to say but now
0: that you mention it um i i I know that in music there's a lot there's always a lot there's in everywhere there's envy and that feeling of well why does that person get that yeah um but i do feel like i've noticed that my friends in comedy that there there seem like there's a lot of rules and like you said a lot of police and a lot of people standing around going you know shaking their finger at you for not not doing it right yeah there's
1: these secret rules we're supposed to follow and they're always changing but I mean, like, the depression never really got in the way of the comedy. Um, It gets in the way of maybe the business side of things mm-hmm. for me, where I just go, oh, forget it. Like, I don't even want to try, you know, yeah. or things like that. I just didn't know. I was so busy self-soothing all the time, off stage, on stage, that I just didn't have that, like, extra energy to go play some game. I don't even know what I mean by play some game. But, you know, oh, if you hire me, I'll work there, I guess. There was never this let's make a, what's my business plan? What's my, it just, I've always been kind of hippy dippy about it. Like I just do what I feel and I do kind of step mm. in shit. I mean that, is that an expression? You can edit out my you, you, swear, but no, it does, it does, in does step in shit mean good things? Um, I thought it I, did. It's like she keeps stepping in shit.
0: You know what? Let's say it does. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah.
1: you know, I maybe just hippie dip around and then something <laughs> falls into my lap and I'm like, yeah. oh, I didn't even try for this. You know, yeah. like when people are like, how did you decide to do Netflix? I'm like, I didn't like I didn't get a special on Comedy Central, which is the only place to get them for a long time. They just didn't like my stuff. And then I didn't do anything about it. I didn't tape my own. I didn't do anything. And then someone I knew started working there. And she's like, we're going to have these comedy things. And she loved my work. And she was like, do you want one? I was like, okay. I didn't even know I was on the precipice of this new thing. That You know, I'm always just kind of like, oh, what? And so (laughs) that, that can either be like a great attitude or a little bit of it can be that... It's not that I'm literally like, I'm home depressed, so I won't try. Sure. But having had depression my whole life, it just creates a different kind of character. Yeah. And the, the character of me, of my soul, is I, I really don't have a ton of energy to be out there pushing for this, you know, like more than I already have.
0: Well, I always wonder about the iciness of ambition and that thing where some people are just so good at like going out and getting it. The word networking has always seemed really gross to me. Yeah, right? same here. So... Um, but there's, there's that. And for some people that really seems to work. Um, I find that in general, the people that I admire are the people that sort of eschew that and they work on being authentic and making something of high quality and then hoping that that connects. And I yeah. feel like it does usually, right?
1: I think so. You may not have like a giant audience and it may be, you know, people come, people go. Yeah. Cause I feel like, you know, my people relate to me so intensely, but that's good in one way, but they might outgrow me. You know what I mean? Like there was a Smith song about that.
0: Yeah.
1: Is it rubber ring? I don't remember, but he talks about like, uh, do you love me like you used to?
0: (laughs) I love your Morrissey.
1: (laughs) And it's like the, the the lyrics is like, yeah, you're listening to me now alone in your bedroom. But once you go out and experience life, you don't need this music anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, I might have that kind of fan base too. So there's really no, In a good way, there's no feeling of safety. To me, there's no... And that's actually quite comforting to me. There's no... Again, unless you're whatever. I don't even try to think of it. Lady Gaga, it's $50 million. She probably doesn't even think she made it either. But it's like, to me, people come, people go. I have to keep working it. There's no sense of security ever. Um, And I think that's okay.
0: Would you characterize that as being hungry? Do you feel like... Because I've always felt like... I was hungry, and yeah. that helped me. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's it's that there's always more to be done.
1: There's always more to be done if you want to. I mean, one doesn't have to. I, and I necessarily don't want to be hungry. I'm just in acceptance of, like, this is what the middle kind of looks like. Yeah. That sometimes when new people find me, I'm like, oh, for God's sakes, where were you... Fifteen years ago, I'm so tired. <laughs> if you all found out about me at the same time, that would fill Madison Square Garden. Yeah, but you all keep coming and going, and some years it's the, you know, and so it's that kind of sense that I get sometimes that like if it had only gone this way, I'd be yeah. very secure right now. And then when young people ask me about that, I realize how silly it sounds. Where it's like, guys, if you're looking for security then please go find something else to do because this is about a journey that you take with yourself. And since I bring so much of myself to what I do, I'll never run out of material because there's, I'll always be growing or getting older or whatever. So I feel like, unfortunately, I actually got to the point where something in the entertainment world is always my day job. Yeah. That's all what I always wanted. Yeah. And I never was specific, like, but I want to retire at 45. Well, here I am at 45. <laughs> yeah, I right? can't retire.
0: Well, I feel like your business model and your voice, I just, I don't feel like there's an expiration date. I feel like you could work as long as you wanted. I was lucky enough to get to meet Joan Rivers yeah. um, in a couple of years before she passed away. Oh my
1: God, I'd love to see you two together.
0: She was so great. She was so, and all, and she, start, she told me stories about Lenny Bruce. And oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. She told me some of those. Too, yeah. Like, right. When I met her. Yeah. Oh,
0: my God. And I just love I love seeing people who are still I don't know about the idea of it, at the top of one's game or whatever, but some yeah. people who are still kicking ass. Yeah. Willie Nelson. I love yeah. Willie Nelson. And he's great. You'll see him every once yeah. in a while. And he looks like he's going through the motions. But then you'll see him light up and that fire inside of him is still burning. And you're like, holy shit, this person still loves what they're doing. And they're a million years old.
1: And I love that with, you know, I was never really a Bruce Springsteen fan. It just didn't speak to me. It just seemed like radio music. Like, I, I mean, and my friends who love him are like, are you kidding? I'm like, oh, it's the same as Mellencamp. They're like, are you kidding <laughs> me? I was like, what? You know, and now I get it that it's not. Yeah. But, you know, his second act in life to me with the book and the uh, the Broadway, Broadway show, it's things like that. As long as I can keep changing, you know, I don't necessarily want to be doing the same thing over and over. But what I liked about Joan and I, and I assume Willie Nelson has this too, is they didn't hate young people. And I could have gone that way really. I was already hating young people when I was 30, you know? (laughs) And now I'm like, oh God, I love them, you know? So you you have to be around the young people so that they, even the other people in your business, because they're going to give you work still. Well,
0: it's sweet. It's what you're talking about, about when you walk into a room and you sense what's happening in the room and you feel the the empathy for these young people because you see yourself in them. Yeah, which leads me to the final question yeah. for Wheels Off: If you were to meet a twenty-year-old version of Jim Kirkman working in today's world, yeah. um, what advice? Oh, in today's world. In today's world, hmm. what advice would you give yourself?
1: Well, I listened to your podcast and I really liked. Uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name from Matchbox Twenty. Oh, Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas. His said, answer was like, "I really don't know because I can't even imagine." You know, I can't yeah. even imagine. But
0: I think he eventually said, "Don't smoke cigarettes." <laughs>
1: Which oh, everyone brilliant. should smoke for a while, please. <laughs> yeah. Um I I would tell her, you know And you know what? She 20-year-old Jen could have used some of this too because there was message boards at one point and I was pretty out there on them. Like just be careful of the internet. Like pe- people are coming to see you, so be consistent. Well, I don't know. See, you can't tell all this stuff to 20-year-old before they've even started. <laughs> it's, I would just say, in comedy, today's world is no different than, than Lenny Bruce's world. It really isn't. You have to get up on stage and be yourself. And what sucks is you don't know yourself yet, so be flexible. Be awkward. You're going to look, even if you think you're nailing it, and this is the most well, awkward part of growing up, is you think you're nailing it. People see you. You look like Bambi just learning to walk. And it's so like, ah, it's so vulnerable. It's crazy. But but just know it's happening. Don't have any shame about it. Don't try to overcompensate. You will just look I was a big overcompensator back then. It was a lot of gusto and bravado and like, oh, I hadn't earned any of it. And now I I probably could have some of that. And I have zero of it because I'm just so, so I would just say, you know, Learn the difference between humility and, like, hating yourself. But don't hate yourself. But just, you know, and then in today's world, I don't know, just don't, don't talk about branding yourself. That's just never funny. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, I'm probably, I'm going to give, 20-year-old me is, like, never going to make it if she hears that <laughs> advice. But don't brand yourself. Just let it happen and let people tell you who you, they see. Don't be like, I'm the one who does this. Like, just don't.
0: I had never thought about that. The idea of the, the verb to brand has always bothered me, but I never really thought about how to be branded is to have something burned into you that's permanent. Yeah. And And what you just said about being flexible and about letting yourself grow into who you'll eventually be and to not, you don't have to be branded you know, no. And,
1: and I think I would tell 20 year old me, you might be right right now, but you're not going to get your, your due maybe until later. So like when I first started out, I was doing bits. I don't want kids. I looked like a baby. People are like, Mm. shut up. You don't know. I'm 45. (laughs) Now the jokes are funny. So you never know. You might be right about who you are, but it's, they're not gonna buy it yet. You know, you don't, this is a gift and this is not on your timetable necessarily. You might not be right about when things are supposed to happen for you or when you're supposed to get it. understand it get it I mean so like just chill out that's what I would say
0: that's great advice (laughs) well I I think I think that there's so much wisdom in in your work but in in just in what you've said here today I really appreciate your generosity and your thoughtfulness and I think you're great Jen
1: generosity with a J I just branded myself
0: boom (laughs) (laughs) that's your new podcast yeah
1: (laughs) all right thank you thanks Jen yeah
0: every day. Thanks, y'all.